Hello and welcome into Empire Sports Talk. This is Max Oriel alongside Josh Schwamm. Schwami is back. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the NHL trade deadline. We're going to talk about the fact that the teams in Minnesota that were scheduled to play tonight have canceled their games out of respect for the protesters, um, I believe, and um, due to the police shooting of Dante Wright last night on Sunday. Um, yesterday and we're going to talk about the New York Yankees right now as we speak they're down one nothing in the third inning with DJ LeMahieu up Um, can they turn it around let's see and so let's just jump right into it here Josh with the fact that the teams from Minnesota have decided to cancel their games tonight Um, yeah I mean we we kind of I mean, you could have seen that coming, right? Like, this is something that's been done before and, you know, obviously horrible what happened up there. And it happened to get with the, the George Floyd incident last year, teams canceling games and protests have started. I believe they started last night. I was in bed pretty early last night because I was up at 4 a.m. So I was not totally in tune and uh, caught up with it today. And, yeah, you could pretty much expect that they were going to be canceling those games tonight. Um, since this is a, not a video podcast, you can't see, but Josh is actually a 95 year old man, um, behind the voice is a 95 year old man. (laughs) What, uh, what makes you say that? I mean, you know, 20 years old on the, uh, in the brain, but what makes you think I'm a a 95 year old man? Cause you go to sleep very early. Well, you know, you go to sleep early. You told me seem- that you're going to go to sleep as soon as we finish this podcast. It's only you know, 6 need- o'clock at night my time. I need to uh, defend myself <laughs> to the listeners is that uh, I work two jobs. I go to class and I run currently 55 miles a week. So I'm a little beat up. <laughs> and so when the sun goes down, it's hard for me to keep these eyes open. Uh, so, you know, yes, I go to bed a little early. Yes, I missed some Yankee games because of it, but uh, we persevere and we get caught up with the information at about six o'clock in the morning because that seems to be my prime hour. <laughs> but let's get back on topic here. Yes, yeah. Um, what do you think about it, canceling those games? I think it makes sense. I think, again, like you said, we've seen it before. They canceled the – when the Bucks canceled the, their game um, in the bubble last summer due to the police shooting – um, and you know, and so I think that, and this might upset some people and this might even upset you that this is another way of protesting because they get yelled at for kneeling during the anthem as a way of protesting police shootings. And so now this is a different way that they, that athletes have come up as an ex- quote unquote acceptable to, that side of the aisle. Um, you know, I, don't, I mean, not only do I agree with you, but I'm going to take it one step further. And, I'm, you know, of course it's a way of protest. And it actually makes a lot of sense, I think. Uh, you, know, you talk about these athletes having a platform, you know, whatever that means, whatever your standpoint is, like they have a platform and they have a, meth- a mode to speak out. And protesting, we'll see if they end up really protesting. I would call tonight more of a pause, <laughs> I mean, they're not obviously pausing the season, but it's more of a pause, let's reset and see what's going on in our heads. And 
you know, that that's happened before and it happened in the NBA bubble. And that's really what it is tonight. It, it's a resetting of the mentality. It's a kind of, let's see where we're at. Um, so of course it can become a larger protest, but I, I don't think right now it's really a, a, you know, the one game is not a form of protest against Minneapolis PD. It's more of a, let's talk and see where we're at and come at yeah. this tomorrow with a clear head. I think is a lot of what's going on tonight. So I, I think it was, you know, these players obviously need to be in the right headspace to play. And, you know, for that reason, I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, it's the right, look, that's the wrong way to phrase it. This is probably what I expected and probably what makes the most sense from the player's perspective. And I think too, that in, if we think about it, the, on just the most basic terms, athletes um, are a form of entertainment, you know, that they, they are entertainers. And so by taking their entertainment away, now they are forcing people that wouldn't usually pay attention to societal issues to pay attention to societal issues because they are very important. A police officer in this case, um, you know, unfortunately, this is the second time on this podcast we've had talked about police shootings leading to cancellations of games. Um, but the, you know, I this time, and I read this tweet to you earlier, I think that unfortunately this is the second time in keeping with that thought of athletes taking away their entertainment to force people to look at societal issues. This is the second time on this podcast that we've discussed the cancellations games as a result of a police shooting. And this one I think is particularly egregious in that the officer who shot Dante Wright in um, Brooklyn center, Minnesota, which is around, which is in Minneapolis. It's like a neighborhood um, from what I've read of Minneapolis. Um, And that she was yelling taser, 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 and was actually firing bullets. Um, Right. They called that, they called it a uh, an unintentional discharge, which which, uh, which I believe I was talking about this with you earlier. Is there are certain professions that you can't make mistakes in? Yes, and uh, that's one of them. You know, you can't. You're just not allowed to make a mistake. I yes. mean, you and I, like perfect example. I just felt like I misspoke, and I went and corrected it, and no one's coming to fire me from my my guest co-hosting role. At least I don't <laughs> think, but. this is a profession where you're allowed to well this and that even gets lazy you're allowed to rephrase to make you sound smarter it's what i tried to do and on on firing a bullet when you meant to fire a taser is just not a mistake you're allowed to make (laughs) yes i agree i think it's a criminal mistake in fact i mean you know we're not getting into the civics of that the legalities of all of it here Doctors, you know, can't be performing brain surgery and oh shit, my scalpel slipped and the guy yeah, that's is a, dead. That's not that's, a mistake you're allowed to make. That's so, another profession that you can't make mistakes in. So, you, you know, because of that, the, because of that, the players obviously have a severe reason to be upset and to want to postpone the game. And the point I was going to make before is you know, to your point that they are entertainers, like, they need to be able to perform. 
you know, we talk about performance, like performing on the field or the court, but simply to perform the act, you know, like it, they need to have all of the mental equipment that they need to perform at whatever level that is. And yes. so, and you know, in general, we're getting the level, you know, performing in general, whether that's hitting 300 or hitting above the Mendoza line, they, you know, they need those tools to be out there. They need to be able to be out there in whatever capacity or skill or ability that is. So. And, um, you know, uh, and that's why also, you know, he's not in a player for one of the teams in Minneapolis, but Yankees center fielder Aaron Hicks is not playing today, not because of an injury um, or something else like that, but because he is as an African-American man in this country have, and a human being more importantly, um, having a hard time dealing with coming to terms with the situation. In you his- also talk about, you know, coming to terms, coming to terms with the situation. That's a guy who has a history with Minneapolis. Yes. I mean, he to he the played Yankees, for the twins, for, for, played for the twins, was traded to the Yankees for John Ryan Murphy, leaving 2017, 16. And that is, a place that is near and dear to him. And, you know, if he, you know, is not able to perform and I, I you know, I want to make this distinction. Like what I'm saying is we're talking about performing at levels. Well, just being able to perform in general, feeling, you know, fit enough to go out there. He's not, you know, feeling equipped right now. And, you know, that's why he's not in the lineup for the Yankees tonight. And I don't know who you and I or anyone else are to judge him. So the players have taken this, approach those who feel competent enough based on the situation to play that's great for them uh but aaron hicks not in the lineup tonight because of that so complicated things going on right now yes um and and i think that it's particularly interesting to view this in the same city that the trial of Derek Chauvin is taking place in at this current moment in time. And so yesterday, Schwami, now we're going to move on here to baseball. Yesterday, Schwami, the Yankees finally won an extra inning game. They had lost their first two of the season and they had finally won one. We talked last week about the runner on second and we talked about extra innings, but still, regardless of that, because they're struggling this year. Right now they're down one nothing in the third inning in Dundee in Florida because they're playing the Blue Jays, who, of course, because of border closings as a result of COVID, um, are unable to play in Toronto. Um, and so just going to point this out and watching this game, the Blue Jays have gotten the short end of the stick the last two years. They play. They last year they played in last summer they played in a minor league stadium and this summer they're playing in a um, spring training stadium. And so it doesn't have the proper lights. They said they had to bring in tower lights, which I remember they had to do last year in the um, Buffalo Stadium. And so that uh, they are not getting the. Yeah, they're getting the short end of the stick, I think, which is unfortunate for them. Um, yeah, it sucks. Like, they're not – I mean, it's just – it sucks. There's no other way to, to describe it. I don't know how much of a competitive disadvantage that is. I don't know how they're – I'm sure they're bringing in all of their facility, you know, facilities, i.e. equipment, 
players are living in places they're comfortable with. But yeah, there's no, I don't know if you need a much bigger word to describe it other than it sucks. Um, and talking about the Yankees really quickly here. Um, so again, they, they won yesterday. They're losing right now, but they're four and five. So they're under 500 and they just haven't looked good. Like, even though they're, if they win today, they're 500. They just have not looked like a good baseball team so far this season. Yeah, you're right. They haven't. But it's also, you know, I think I made the point last week that we were not even in double digits in April. And, okay, it's April 12th right now. But we'll, you know, we don't have to – that's not a drop-dead date. They haven't looked good. They've had some, you know, already pieces falling in and out of the lineup. Hicks playing tonight uh, as an extension of that, not due to injury, of course, as we had just discussed. But they haven't looked good, but it's not – it's not the end of the world. Like I know Yankees Twitter and you and I want to, you know, jump ship and start talking about what needs to happen in the off season, but th- they will make the playoffs. They are still the favorites to win the division. I know we're going to talk about, you know, the bad guys leading the division right now, but th- this is not the end of the world. They don't look good, but they will turn, you know, they will turn it around. They always do turn it around and, that's how it goes. I mean, it's it's early season baseball, and it sucks right now, but it's going to get better. They they've they've lost some close games in tight situations, which those will start falling. And so, I don't know about you, but I'm not so ready to hit the panic button right away. I'm not ready to hit the panic button right away because, as I said last week, and we you know you shut down that argument. Once the weather gets hot, the Yankees get hot. And it's happened for, you know, as long as I can remember. And so well, I theoretically, not... by that argument, they should be tearing it up right now in Florida because it's hot as hell down there. Is it? What's the temperature in Dundee right now? Let's look on I'm my gonna, let's, you, you keep talking. I'm going to do some quick analysis and figure it out. Or I'm going to figure it out before you finish talking. Right now, it's 73 degrees. But it's, it's getting up into the 80s up uh, down there. So that is hot. Especially these guys have been coming from, you know, the, I guess they were in Florida in March, but you know, they're traveling around the country. It's not 81 degrees everywhere they're going right now. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. It was in the forties this morning in central Illinois where I'm at and it was windy as hell. So it probably felt like the thirties. Yeah. I'm in between St. Louis and Chicago. These guys are not, not dealing with 81 every day. So by that argument, they should be tearing it up right now. Dundee. But it's not that it's different. They it takes them a while to get going in this season for some reason. But I think the thing that is far and away the most concerning for me is the their inability this season to hit with runners in scoring position. This season, um, it's unclear how they're doing with runners in scoring position this year, but they're not doing well. It's one of those things, you know, where we're looking at it as an eye test. The stats aren't conclusive at this point. I think we both know that by the end of the season, a lot of these numbers that are low right now will come up in whatever yeah. capacity that is just because of the volume of games and the Yankees not being as bad as they are right now, at least we believe. And there's a lot of things you could do every night that you say, oh, we could have done this. We should have hit with more in scoring position. We should have looked for more fly balls. We should have moved the infield this way and played the outfield this depth. But it's coming together. It'll happen. It's just – I don't like watching them right now because they're not, like you said, playing well. But I don't think that is 
the same thing as what you said before, which is they are not a good baseball team. They are a good baseball team who's not playing well and not clicking yet. And I believe that will show. You have, you know, Glaber Torres hit 222, Stanton hit 182, Hicks hitting 129, and Jay Bruce, who's Jay Bruce is not going to be part of the Yankees for very much longer, I think. Well, I think once Hicks gets back, or excuse me, once Voigt gets back, and I think that's why a little bit that they brought Odor in, um, they are going to get rid of Bruce because he's only hitting 111. I mean, he's been... Right, well, I mean, you talk about these guys hitting low. Like, I, I don't think Aaron Hicks is going to hit 130 the entire year. I don't think if you let Jay Bruce play the entire year that he's going to hit 111. I don't think if you let Stanton play all year, well, he might strike out enough, but he's not probably not going to hit 188. And it's just, I, I feel like I'm, you know, beating a dead horse, but I, I don't feel at this point any sort of reason or, or compelling inside of me to provide such a, a blistering take about like of course we can point to why they're losing and what they're doing wrong but that's not an issue that's going to compound them the rest of the season I don't feel I feel like they will turn it around they've proven every team goes on a cold streak you know Boston who's leading the division right now is going to go on a cold streak Tampa's going to get hot and they're going to get cold it's such a a streaky sport not just on a night-to-night basis but on a week-to-week and month-to-month basis yes you know right now the Yankees are in one of those cold spells, and it's showing because we haven't watched Yankee baseball since October, and it's showing even more because their place in the standings. They could lose 10 straight in August, but leading the division. You know, so there's so much that can happen, and, and just in, in, in how we are perceiving it on the 12th of April. Yes. Um, and do you think Alec Bohm was safe yesterday? Well, I mean, I think we saw the images. I mean, he's clearly not safe. You know, if there's a the Twitter account, uh, baseball images that precede unfortunate events, <laughs> then you, you click around a little bit. I mean, he was clearly not touching the plate. I didn't actually watch the replay because shocker, I was in, you know, trying to go to bed. Uh, Grandpa needs his beauty sleep. But, you know, we watched the, re- watched the replay. A lot of sleep. You, 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 yeah, I know. You read the paper the next morning and uh, you turn to look at the box scores on page 87. And uh, you'll see that he was clearly not safe. I don't think. What do you think? You think he was safe? I think he was out. I think it was the ump wants to go home. He's tired. It's been a long day. And so, you know. Well, what calling? about the ump just missed the call? I mean, I don't like bashing on umpires because, I mean, I, I saw a call this weekend at Bradley, Bradley University Baseball that was such a beautiful call. It was more – I was talking about the call more than I was talking about the play at the plate. So – you, know, you talk, I mean, look, umpires have a really hard job. I think he, he could have just missed the call. And, you know, there's a combination of I want to go home and, you know, get out of this town. I mean, yes. Yeah, so I, I live in Atlanta. To... I don't mind. I, don't, I wouldn't mind wanting to get out of there myself. So, I mean, <laughs> I haven't been there in a year. Maybe that's why. So, you know what? It's a nice Congrats ballpark, though. It is. Nice, ball, nice ballpark, but I, you know. And why, why oh, wouldn't no, you want to stay in the ballpark? Summer. Why wouldn't you want to stay in the ballpark for as long as possible if you're not getting out of town until the next morning? I agree. Maybe this summer yeah, we'll go to go. a game in Atlanta. I won't be living there much longer. I'm getting the hell out. Okay. Coming to Florida, man. We'll go to, uh, you know where we'll go to? We'll go to Magic City and get some blue whale wings. You can go. I'm going to stay back and go to Chipotle. That's, <laughs> uh, you can get some wings and I'm going to keep my sanity. 
but we're getting a little too off topic here. You know, moving on toward, towards the Red Sox. I mean, we talked, you know, we've, I've hinted at them a couple times. They're leading the division right now. What are you, what's your thoughts on them? They've looked good. I mean, like, you know, the point that I made about the Yankees applies to them. I think they'll, you know, they're hot and they'll get cold and they'll get hot and they'll get cold and they'll get cold and they'll get hot. And same thing with, with the Red Sox. They just, they look good right now. They're playing well. They're playing free. They're playing like they know they're good, which is scary because so much of baseball is thinking and really believing that you're better than you are. And they're doing that right now. So what's your thoughts on Boston? The bad guys. I think that Boston's, um, you know, they're on fire right now, but I don't think that they could keep it up for 162 games. I don't think that they have the depth in that bullpen particularly to keep it up. I mean, if we look at the pitching stats right now, they have, they're only at um, 16th out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball. So in the bottom half of Major League Baseball, the 4.13 ERA. Um, but they're third in hitting with a 2.83 ERA. And so I think that eventually, I think they definitely, I could see have the um, hitting to last 162 games, and I don't think they have the pitching to last 162 games. I don't know if the Yankees have the pitching to last 162 games. Yeah, I mean, I mean they have they have the hitting. That's not that's not kid. No, but I, I agree with you. I think when push comes to shove, they are an inferior baseball team to the Yankees. But they're playing well right now. I don't know if they can hold it, but this is all speculation. They they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of experience in that depth that they have, which is important. You know, you talk about the dog days of August. That's so important. And they don't have it. But they could prove us wrong. We'll see what happens uh, as we get going. Like I said, it is the 12th of April. So let's, I'm trying to keep myself in my seat and not standing on top of the table proclaiming that the Yankees suck and ripping down all my pictures. Not all. I got a couple. You know, throwing them out the window already. I mean, come on. <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, I think that, you know, of open with Darwin's and Hernandez is, you know, and Nathan Evaldi is not going to be a bullpen that can last the whole season, but we'll see. Um, and so what teams have surprised you the most this season so far? Like, which teams – it's been a week. We spoke about the surprises and the disappointments last week. Which teams now, after another week of watching them, are you saying, wow, that team has proved to me over the last year, month, uh, week that it's – you know, it, they're for real or this, te- or this team has proved to me that they are – you know, that they've fallen off over the last week and that they are fake? I didn't think the Cubs would be this bad. I mean, they're four and five, and, you know, they lost to the, to the Pirates two games to one, and then they, they lost uh, they lost one to the Pirates earlier, so they're three and three against Pittsburgh this year. I, I just – I didn't think they'd be that bad. And I didn't think they'd look that bad. Like, they don't look good, <laughs> you yeah. know? The Yankees don't look good because we expect them to be the Yankees. But, like, the Cubs just don't look – like a competent baseball team. And of course they traded their pieces. They still got Chris Bryant. I mean, 
they've still got pieces to where you would say, this is a 500 team. And yes, they're four and five, three of those wins against Pittsburgh, one against Milwaukee. Like I, they just look like a train wreck. They don't look good at all. And it's appalling to me. I mean, I've, you know, like I said, living in, in the middle of Illinois, I'm watching a lot of uh, Cubs baseball and just being around people, you know, that I live with. And it is, it is bad. They don't look good. Pittsburgh has been impressive moderately. I mean, shoot to, to beat the Cubs a couple of times and, and, you know, do it relatively well. Like maybe the Cubs aren't real and it's just phony, but Pirates have looked good. That series, I'm mean, guess I'm harping on, but no, my original point still stands. The Cubs have looked really bad. I mean, pitching is bad. The situational hitting is bad. Situational awareness is bad. It does not look good. Yeah. I think, I think the Cubs personally have disappointed in terms of, I thought that when they won that World Series in 2016, that that was going to be the first of a few, a handful that they, that that core won. And it seems like that run, that that is already over. I felt like it was over, like, after they won. It was almost like people were joking, like, oh, my God, we got the one. And the Cubs did the same thing, but they were like, we're actually going to pack it in. Like, I don't think, I never feel like they've been in contention since they won the World Series. Yeah. They made playoff runs. They won playoff games. Well, like in 2018, they lost in the wild card game to Colorado. You know, like I don't, I, I've never felt like, and they, they got in that situation because they blew a, 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 I believe they blew a lead in their standings in the last part of the season, September. I, I just, they haven't looked good at all. And they had never been in contention really since they, they won the World Series. And of course, you, you see a young Rizzo and a young Bryant. They had Chapman closing them out. You didn't know what was going to come of that. And Schwarber. Yeah, and Schwarber and Contreras and all these guys. Who Lester. Lester on the bump dealing. I mean, he still couldn't throw to first, but he got the job done. You know, like that was a legit team. They were talking, we're going to move uh, Schwarber to left. Keep uh, Javi Baez. Keep Contreras behind the plate. There was Addison Russell, who's Addison out Russell. of Major League Baseball. Right, they had too many catchers. They had too many shortstops. I mean – it was, you know, the, what did Michael Jordan say? The ceiling is the roof or what or whatnot. I mean, they had limitless potential and just never felt like it was going to be anywhere close to what it was in 2016. Yeah. They've never put it – they have never come close. That whole organization, then they lose uh, Theo Epstein to a burnout and uh, back to mediocre. We'll see you in, what is it, 2020? We'll see you in 104 years. Yeah. Literally, I see them. But. Well, you and I won't see them, but you know the sport that we love, God willing, it's still in business. We'll see them in 104 years. Yes, I think that on the positive side, I think that the NL West has lived up to its billing in terms of I. The Padres are a game back of the Dodgers in second place. With a seven and three record, the Dodgers have an eight and two record. I think that those two teams are going to be in a track meet all season for that. Division. I mean, yeah, they are going to be jockeying back and forth. Those are the cream of the crop of baseball. We talk about Cubs, Jock Peterson, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, running around the Dodgers right now. Uh, I mean, that is that whole division is really good. Those three are really good. The whole division is good. Yes. And I believe that. 
excuse me, they have lived up to the hype. You know, we, we expected that to be the, you know, compete with the East for the best division in baseball. And right now on April 12th, it is better. And that'll, you know, that could, will, can and will change. So we'll see, but that is a really damn good division. There's yeah. no other way to sugarcoat it. This is not, you know, West is not going to be a division that the Dodgers win by 10 games. Or no, something. and they might not They're going to win it by like half game if they win it. If the, you know, there's a, there's a world where there's three teams from the NL West in the playoffs, and there's a world where the third team in the NL West wins the pennant. And yeah. I don't know if that would surprise any of us if it happened. Yeah. Like we, Who's Dodgers your third team in the NL West? Well, who are your two? Let's be on the same page here. My two teams are the Dodgers and the Dodgers. Do you think the Giants can compete? Do you think they, I think the Giants can compete. Diamondbacks can compete. I think all of them can compete. Like I don't, I don't see. No, not the Rockies. Any of those teams. Well, okay, fine. The Rockies, the Rockies can compete. The Giants can compete. Okay, Arizona, I think, is going to be better than people give them credit for. They're four and six on the year. So there's four teams in that division. Let's let's call it four teams that I think can make a run. And like, I don't know if anyone would be shocked if San Francisco made the playoffs. I think there's only two teams. And one around. Of course, no, those are the two teams that you are 100% sure, but you don't think the Giants can make a run? No. I don't think – I think like the Red Sox, they don't have the pitching to last 162 games. They look really good right now on a four-game winning streak. You know, they started the season six and three, but I think they'll fall off. And Maybe I think, I'm just more optimistic on the Giants because I actually don't want the Red Sox to be that good. So that, that could be that too. Maybe. But I think the best division, if we're looking at divisions right now, I think the best division in baseball currently is and will be the AL West because you have the Astros leading that division at six and three. And Mike Trout's finally got a little bit of help there. <laughs> um, they're six and three. And then you have the Mariners, who I like the Mariners. That they're a fun baseball team to watch at five and four. And then the bottom half of the, that division is rough with the Rangers at three and six and the A's at three and seven. Um, but I think the ALS right now is the best division in baseball. Fair point. I mean, it could be any of those three the East, the West, and the NL West. You never know. Yes. And um, and so, you know, last week we predicted that Taylor Hall would be the only big name moved at the deadline. And for the most part, that was true. I mean, the Capitals late in the day acquired forward Anthony Manta from the Red Wings in exchange for Jacob Verana and Richard Panic and a 21 first and a 22 second. Uh, and so what do you think of that pick from either side? Yeah, I mean, Detroit's struggling. Like, that's a hell of a player, and that's a commodity. And they got some picks back, and that's what you want to do in those situations. I mean, they clearly held their cards tight. They didn't have to get rid of – the Red Wings didn't have to get rid of him right away. And uh, they held their cards tight, and it worked out. They got some good stuff from Washington, who's first in the East, and now a serious contender for the Stanley Cup. I think it's a good trade for both sides. And clearly, Detroit, you would think by – because of them – excuse me – because they waited until the end of the day, they got the best value that they could have gotten on the deadline. They waited, they waited, they played their cards, and they got some good picks. Yeah, I think if the Capitals, you benefit from this in that, you know, like Schwami said, you're getting the pick. And it, or excuse me, you're getting a good depth player there 
Um, and I think if you're the Red Wings, you're building for the future. You're not going to make the playoffs this year. You're one of the second worst team in the NHL. So that first round pick is going to come in valuable. And Verona and Panic are pretty young. You could have them for the future. Um, and so the big trade that did happen early in the day, in the middle of the night, really, um, was the Bruins getting Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar in exchange for Anders Bjork and a second round pick in the 2021 NHL draft from Buffalo Sabres. I think this autumn, if Taylor Hall can rediscover his form, this makes the Bruins now cup favorites in my eyes. I mean, they're fourth right now. I don't know if I'm ready to elevate them to a Stanley Cup favorite, but it is certainly they are in conference title contention and and definitely right up there as one of the teams. I don't know if they're the automatic, let's make them the favorite, but it's a hell of a pickup. Obviously, we talked about last week how good of a player Taylor Hall is. And for the East, this is the thing that pushes them over the edge, you know, to being a really good team. Again, I don't know if I'm ready to call them a immediate favorite, you know, I still think Colorado's right up there, but great trade for Boston. They got the job done, and, and they're now in a great position going forward the rest of the season. Um, yeah, and I think them also getting Mike Riley from the Senators for a third, that elevates them. Um, I was impressed today by the Penguins. They got Jeff Carter. They started the day getting Jeff Carter from the Kings in exchange for only conditional picks in 22 and 23. And so, you know, I think that's a big pickup for the Penguins. Um, And so moving on to something that Shrami is a little bit more familiar with in that the New York Rangers and Tony D'Angelo, what did you think of the news that came out today that, of course, they didn't trade him. Nobody really wanted to trade any assets to uh, the Rangers for him. But what do you think of the news that Darren Dreger tweeted out um, earlier today that the Rangers wanted to uh, mutually terminate his contract and let him go someplace else, and he said no? I mean, you think about it, it's the right call for, for Tony D'Angelo, right? He's under contract, and he knows that very few people are interested in him. And if he, if he thinks he can be picked up next season, then it's totally the right call. If he knows he's not going to play, then get all the money from the Rangers that you can. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a business decision for Tony D'Angelo. And from that perspective, it makes total sense. The Rangers, I understand them trying to be polite with the situation because we talked about last week his controversial con- uh, con- Obviously, last week we talked about his controversial conduct and what that has done to his stock. So it makes sense for the Rangers, makes sense for him, and we'll see where they go from there. Um, I think in regards to that tweet, I, I agree with you, but I think that it also doesn't look good on Tony Zangelo. Of course like, not. How is, is he, he going to his- like, gonna perform next year when he hasn't – you know, played in an actual game of hockey since, I mean, I forgot his last game. Let me look up his last game. While you're doing that, of course it doesn't look good on him, but, like, that's the business decision. He And, you know, I think it's pretty well established that he's not con- particularly concerned 
about his public perception amongst the masses. And it makes him look like a jerk to not accept a mutual partition of ways. That's probably not a word, but we're going to roll with it. Uh, so, of course, it doesn't look great on him, and he hasn't played a game, and we'll find out soon. But He hasn't played since January 30th. So Yeah, I mean, it's, know, it's been three months. Look, the players taking long breaks and come back. I don't know if that's necessarily destroying his stock, but it's it's not a great look for him as a person. But I feel like by this point, he also knows that whoever's going to sign him, like this is not going to be the thing that pushes them over the edge, you know? I think, like, yeah, but I think that what hurts him more than not playing in three months, because I agree that players take breaks or whatever, is the way that his Rangers tenure ended it wasn't just that he was struggling. It was the fight in the locker room. It was the treatment of Keandre Miller, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, what I'm saying is if someone is going to sign him, like it's not going to be because he didn't accept the mutual parting of ways, right? Like if they're going to sign him, their determination is going to be made based off the situations that you just talked about. So why – like what from his perspective, what like you can't, you really can't make it worse. So do what you think is best for you. I'm not saying I'm not sitting here saying I agree with his decisions, but I'm explaining more the rationale and why it makes sense for him based on his beliefs and the situation he's put himself in. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um... Let me try to figure out how to say this. I think it does, though. Like, I because Montreal was interested in him, according to this tweet by Darren Dreger. So why wouldn't you say, okay, I'm not wanted here at all. I don't have a spot here. And so I'll sign in Montreal, and hopefully I can stick there and say, you know, F you to the Rangers. You shouldn't have, you know, let me walk. I mean, that's a, more of like him, you know, choosing to stand his ground, and that's an egotistical thing. It could be that he thinks there's more money for him waiting till the end of the year with the Rangers and then going elsewhere. But I agree. Like, if it were me, I would do, I would accept the parting of ways, take my buyout, and go where I'm wanted. But you know, this, there's other factors that go into it that you and I can't see and that the general public can't see. And I would hope that that's what's going into it, other than him just being. Uh, less intellectual than the rest of us, we'll say. I mean, we've done that for a while. Yeah, but, you know, hopefully someone he's got someone in his ear who's given him moderately sound advice. He voiced his support for... Never mind. But... Uh, and so... I think the best move of the NHL trade deadline... Just to go back to that really quickly, was the I think it was the Bruins getting Taylor Hall for basically nothing for Anders Bjork uh, and a second round pick. I agree that has to be the trade of the trade deadline. He was the commodity, and the asking price was probably higher, and they made it happen. So. All kudos to Boston there and the Bruins organization. I think that has to be the trade of the trade deadline. Yes. 
And I think that the worst trade of the trade deadline today, at least, was the Ducks getting Hayden Flurry from the Hurricanes for Yanni Hockenpah, which I definitely mispronounced that, and so I'm sorry. And a sixth round pick in 2022. In that, I don't know why the Ducks are trading for an established presence when they're also one of the worst in their trading picks. Which I mean, again, it's not a high pick. It's only a sixth round pick, and they traded a 29 year old player for Hayden Flurry. And on the other side, I don't know why the Hurricanes would trade Hayden Flurry. He's only 24 years old. He's only got one game or one goal this year, admittedly. And he's minus six with six penalty minutes. But I still think that he can contribute to an NHL team. And I think that the Ducks are going to um, benefit from that. But I think that this trade doesn't make an absolute ton of sense for either team. Yeah, I agree. I don't know who's winning this trade. You know, when I think about, you know, making a trade happen, you think of who says no. And this is more of a situation of who says yes, who looks at this and says, this is going to make me better both now and in the future. And I, I agree with you that I don't believe either team is going to massively benefit from this or benefit even at all. Yeah. And I think that um, outside of, and I say this jokingly, but I think that outside of this trade, um, the worst trade of the trade deadline was the Islanders getting Kyle Palmieri and Travis Ajak from the Devils in exchange for AJ Greer, Mason Jopst, a first and a fourth, because um, the Rangers continue to struggle in terms of you know keeping up with the competition. Recently, they lost yesterday in overtime to the Islanders, and so I don't like the Rangers big competition in the Islanders to get better. I mean, that's more of just the, I think think that trade makes sense for both teams. That's more of just us disliking anything that's good for the Islanders and Devils. Yes. Um, And so the Masters just ended yesterday, Schwami. Yes, it did. You know, I I really want to take you quickly through my Masters watching, watching experience because I feel like it differed most from most Americans. Uh, I was up early both days as I do, but I was up extra early both days to, uh, to get my workouts in before going to work at Bradley athletic events. And when I came home, my first priority was to watch a recap podcast of that day cycling race, the toward the Basque country it's going on. It's a big deal over there and uh, European cycling. And I was watching a couple 30, 40 minute podcasts about the tour of the Basque country before even checking on the Masters. So I knew all that happened in the Saturday's Queen stage and Sunday's finale. Are you then, trying uh, to say Basque? Basque, yeah. You're like saying B-A- Basque, like the fish. Basque, B-A-S-Q-U-E. I know. The Basque You're country. saying okay, Basque right. as in B-A-S-S. Well, that's the New York accent where I start cutting off a few letters here and there at my <laughs> own leisure. Um, you're supposed to know what I mean. So I, I was watching... A recap of uh, American Brendan McNulty blowing his lead on the final day of the race to Primoz Roglic while Hideki Matsuyama was walking up the 18th green. And I was alerted that Matsuyama was walking up the 18th green through a group chat 
So I decided to put the podcast on pause and go watch that. I was much more in tune with currently with the cycling, but no, it was a great Matsuyama played from start to finish really well. Dustin Johnson was five over, didn't make the cut. A lot of big guys, Bubba didn't make the cut was two over all these guys. It's so hit or miss in golf and Matsuyama was consistent. He just played really well. What, whenever asked and really the entire tournament and he okay he played even on the last day because he two putted 18 on Sunday but yeah he never looked touchable he was the best player on that course every single day from start to finish and to him I say congratulations that's a hell of a performance uh he you know he probably felt a little pressure of course but he handled it well and I don't know you know what really to say because all the big guns missed the cut you know, the defending champion, like five over on through two days. And so many of these guys, I think Justin Johnson said he three putted three of the last six holes on Saturday, on Friday, uh, excuse me, on Friday. And that that's not going to get you to make the cut. Bubba Watson yeah. make the cut. Mickelson didn't make the cut. All these guys didn't make the cut. I don't know who he was playing against, but he clearly played really well on 11 under 10 under, whatever it was, is certainly good enough to win the masters. Unless you're playing against Dustin Johnson, Johnson shooting 20 under. So yes, all, all the credit in the world to Matsuyama. He was the best player on the course for four days. And he acted like he was the best player on the course for four days. And so that's really the story of the masters. He was the best which we haven't been able to say in golf for a long time. You know, Tiger Woods was so dominant. That was the story was how dominant Tiger Woods was. Not that Matsuyama is nearly as dominant or was nearly as dominant this weekend, but I don't know who, who else was the com- a part of the conversation. The second place finisher was, you know, closing in on him throughout the day, but otherwise Matsuyama was the cream of the crop. Yeah. I mean, he's the first um, Japanese man to win a major tournament, which is huge. Yep. Um, two women have won um, most recently with the British Open in 2019. Um, but he was dom- like he was dominant. He struggled a little bit on that last hole, but at that point, it didn't matter. I mean, as long as he didn't. Well, I don't want to say it didn't matter if he uh, if he missed that that second to last putt. They would have gone to to a playoff, and it was so crazy. Did you watch it? He missed the first putt by like a couple inches and he just walked up and tapped it. That's what you got to do though. You can't think in that situation. Like he didn't think for a second that this was the tap in to win the masters. He thought about the putt and he just tapped it in. So he only won by one stroke. It didn't feel that close because the other guy played an exceptional back nine, but Zalatoris. Yeah. Well, Zalatoris. Thank you. uh, Played an exceptional uh, back nine. He became this weekend. Did you see that? What's that? Will Zalatoris became a meme this weekend. Did you see I that? I saw that. Did you see Big Cat put like 10 grand on him to win? No, that's fine. Oh, yeah. These guys have too much money to be tossing around. But yeah. I mean, he played an exceptional back nine. Matsuyama, I think, shot even through the final 18. But look, to shoot even and be 11 under, you know, you're probably going to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had a uh... – he was one over actually. He had a seventy-three on a seventy-two. Um, Matsuyama, we're talking about. Yeah, in the in the last round, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, he, he played light, lights out the first three days, and it didn't feel like he was shooting that bad on Sunday. So. Yeah. Um, controlled the pace, controlled the situation, 
control the environment and you win the masters easier said than done yes uh and you know so i think it's good for him and i think that you know it's probably it's definitely um a point of pride for those in japan of course i mean you talk about a country that is you know i think the word excellence is used a little too frequently and a little too loosely that is a country that is focused on excellence and dignity and honor to the sport and in so many sports and to finally have a major winner and to have it be the masters i mean matsuyama look like i feel like the best judgment of a guy winning for the first time is when you look at your your buddy or your your family and you're like he's been around a while like He's he's had top five finishes in several majors. You know he's been close a lot, and it's a testament to his hard work, to his dedication, to his skill and ability, and that's one to be really proud of uh, for that entire country. He's theirs, and uh, he did a hell of a job, and has been working at it for such a long time. So he's yeah. only twenty nine, but he he's, I feel like he's been around as long as I've been old enough to track golf and like actually think about it (laughs) yeah i mean let's look at his stats real quickly um he has been let's see he's been competing his best finish at the masters prior to this was a fifth place finish in 2015 um right but he's fifth place at the masters he was fourth at the pga the tide but he's been playing professionally since 2013. He's been on the PGA tour. Right. And he was second in the so. US Open. Like this guy's been around the block and he's done everything no, he can do. 2014, he's been in the PGA tour. He's been playing professional since 2013. Right. I mean, he's he's put in the work, he's seen it all. He's played at the highest level. Like I just said, second at the US Open, tied for fourth in the PGA, fifth of the Masters, sixth at the players at the Open Championships. I mean, you know, yeah, okay, top five, top six. That's the highest level of golf. Yeah. <laughs> and to be right there, you know, a, a, literally a handful of guys ahead of you. In some cases, a couple. In some cases, one. You know, you're going to get hot eventually, and he, he did. He yeah, got hot. He, yeah, it's his first win since um, August 17, August 6, 2017, when he won the Bridgestone, the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. By five strokes over Zach Johnson. Well, did you look at what the the feature, I believe it was uh, Marty Smith on ESPN did a feature on Sunday about winning in golf, how Tiger won 27% or 20, I'm sorry. Yeah. 27% of his first 200 tournaments. And that is outrageous. Like that, like Roy McIlroy has won in five years. Dustin Johnson hasn't won besides the masters. You know, these guys don't, to win consistently in golf is the equivalent. Like that number for Tiger Woods was hitting, was like hitting 400. Yeah. It was so rare. It's like when we talk about 300 being, you know, the gold standard of baseball, like hitting 0.050 in golf in terms of winning is elite, you know, that's multiple tournaments a year. And he was, I'd argue that Tiger's prime is up there with any athlete's prime in history. Right, but just to, just in terms of the dumb. concept of winning a golf tournament, to have it go right for four days, which if I may do my cycling rant, these guys have to get it right for three weeks. Anyways, 
to get, you know, mentally the different courses. I mean, it is to win in golf is so absurdly difficult. And if you keep punching at the door, like he has, eventually you, you, you might, you might get one. And he yes. did. And what a stage to get your first major. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the stage. It's I mean, not like, I don't know how, you know, you wouldn't feel bad for him if he won the PGA or the open and, or the U S open and say, ah, oh, he could have got the masters, but what a way to do it to have Dustin Johnson, who's the best golfer in the world, putting the green jacket on you and people are watching. I mean, imagine being the first guy to have, you know, since COVID to have the fans cheered for you when you're walking up the 18th green. I mean, come on. Yeah. It doesn't get better than that. And I mean, yeah, the masters is the only golf tournament that I watch. I like, and I watched the last day of the masters. I don't care about, you know, the British Open and the U.S. Open or anything like that, really. I would go. Like, if it was at Beth Page Black in Long Island or whatever, I would go because it's just an event and it's fun. And, you know. Right. But, like, I mean, look, like, I'm not, I'm not out here uh, locked into golf. And yeah. I, I don't even watch the last day, but I'm tracking every day of the Open, the U.S. Open, the PGA. You're just seeing what's going on. I, I like, pay attention to those a little, I guess start to pay attention on the last day. If it's like, oh, Jordan Spieth is going to win, or Rory is going to win, or right, give me, Justin give me the last Johnson. three holes, then we're talking. Give me the last yeah. three holes. Tell me what's going on. <laughs> Go from there. I feel like we've beaten this horse still a little bit. Yes, and so that'll just about do it for us here. This is Max alongside Josh Schwab. Thanks for coming today, Josh. Always a pleasure, Max. You know, I love talking to you as much as possible. You sounded very sarcastic, but I know you actually mean that deep down. I don't, I don't know about part. that, but uh, we'll find out when I, if I come back on my own will. <laughs> and so thank you to our listeners for listening and tuning in again next week. Thank you.